All right, here we go in three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Speak, episode 112. Thanks for joining us either on YouTube or Spotify. I'm Eddie Kalegi. And I'm Tim Moore. We have Nick Pochia here, and we have a lot to get to. Major League Baseball postseason now in full swing. Actually, as we're recording this right now, the Yankees have the lead in game two of the ALDS against the Cleveland Guardians. We're going to talk some Major League Baseball postseason. The NFL, the NFC East has been really good for all three of our teams. Tim is actually looking like he was smart with his 11 and 6 Giants predictions so far, at least. So we'll talk about that and also preview the NBA season, which begins in just five days. But of course, as always, with the picture behind me, I do have to start with the elephant in the room, and that is the New York Mets being eliminated from the postseason. And it's crazy to think that just a week and a half after having a lead and being in a situation where essentially they just had to steal one of the three games in Atlanta and they'd probably win the NL East. Now they're out because they didn't win the division and then they lose two out of three games to San Diego. And it's very frustrating as a Met fan to see them spend on Max Scherzer and spend on Chris Bassett and both of them be inefficient and unsuccessful in the two biggest starts of the year. The only pitcher who really showed up in his starts in the big games was Jacob deGrom. He still threw out a quality outing against Atlanta, and he pitched well in the victory in game two against San Diego. And the Mets offense didn't do nearly enough in those games. And unfortunately, the 101 wins don't mean very much. And Tim, we've been going a bit back and forth off the air about this. You say, you know, typically, and I'm usually in agreement with you when it comes to when you assess a team when it's their first trip in a while with this group of players to the postseason, you shouldn't be that upset when they're eliminated because this is a building step and the next step is to go further. And we've seen that with the Braves a few years ago, Toronto in the past, San Diego now. But I have to disagree on this occasion because this Mets team while you do have Pete Alonso and you do have Jeff McNeil who were there for the first time, they built this team based on postseason experience. Max Scherzer has pitched in the World Series for multiple teams. Francisco Lindor has played in the World Series. Carlos Carrasco, Chris Bassett's played in the playoffs before. The list goes on and on. This team was built for this year in 2022, and they have a lot of free agents, particularly both in the rotation and the bullpen, which is going to make it very difficult for them to replicate this 101 win success next year. So it really feels like a missed opportunity, especially when you see how they went toe to toe with the Braves this season and the Dodgers have so many injuries to their pitching rotation that there were opportunities in the National League that I feel like are missed so that's why it hurts and stings so much as a Met fan, because this felt like the year. And I feel so bad for Jacob deGrom, because in his prime 2018 through 2021, he had to deal with Mickey Calloway, Luis Rojas, team batting out of order at times, just complete chaos. And he comes back this year healthy, pitches pretty well, deals with a blister in September. And the team really didn't show up around him and Edwin Diaz. And they're both free agents. And I know Steve Cohen seemingly has bottomless pockets, but it's not going to be easy to retain all of these players and return to the 100 win gl glory from this season. I'll go to Poach first, since he's also a Met fan. Uh, how do you evaluate the end to this 2022 season? Well, it, it was wildly disappointing. I know I'm stating the obvious uh, in noting that, that that series in Atlanta, especially, it's so hard to look back on. You win one of those games, it's such a, a different scenario going into the playoffs. That first round by, as we kind of do all season, um, was such a, a pivotal thing. If you come into a series, hypothetically with the Dodgers, with 
arrested DeGrom and arrested Scherzer and, you, and you're ready to roll. Anything can happen. The Dodgers are an excellent team, obviously. Um, but that series with San Diego, brutal. I had a lot of optimism after game two. That was a very exciting, uh, looked like a momentum building win. Uh, it turned out not to be. You absolutely cannot get one hit in a game three at home. I don't care if Nolan Ryan's pitching. It, it, it cannot happen. Uh, and then, you know, it obviously going into this offseason, Jacob DeGrom, Edwin Diaz, Brandon Nimmo being free agents. It's going to be incredibly difficult uh, to retain some of these guys. And, and my gut feeling is, is that DeGrom's going to go to the Braves and that would be that would be traumatic. I don't even that would just be adding insult to injury at this point. So obviously an incredibly tough pill to swallow. But I do want to note an incredibly fun season. If we could ignore these past couple of weeks, like you said, it felt like the year to win 101 games is encouraging. But now it, it rests on uh, Steve Cohen and Billy Epler's shoulders to figure out how to not only retain most of this group, but but bring in uh, some of the missing pieces. Obviously, we discussed that catcher. That's a problem. The bullpen is a problem. Uh, and, and hopefully keep the starting pitching group together and, and pray that they come up in the clutch next year because they did not this time. Well, yeah. if I could um, step in, like I will say it like this. The one thing for the Mets in this regard is, well, yes, a lot of players are going to be you know, out the door and the team's going to look a lot different compared to this season. There's a lot of really good key free agents that the Mets can chime into to really help bolster this offense. I mean, Wilson Contreras, first off, I think that's going to be the biggest one that they should be looking at. You know, I understand the Mets have had catcher struggles, but if you get him on that offense, you know, that's going to help, you know, only increase production a little bit. Um, I kind of look around that lineup too. Of course, I know he, he, Jeff McNeil, really good on, you know, bat on ball hitter. Starling Marte was spectacular. and Really, I would say one of the only few bright spots during this postseason for the Mets, despite coming back from injury. But, we also live in a potential realism where in the offseason, the Mets could re-sign Jacob DeGrom and also get Aaron Judge. There's no guarantee Aaron Judge is going back to the Yankees. I'm not saying he's going to go into the Mets either, but really in a two-year plan, just imagine this. Now, I know Steve Cohen always says he's going to put money in to go get the big free agent, but imagine a Mets team brings back Jacob DeGrom, gets Aaron Judge, and then the following offseason gets Shohei Otani. Now, in all realism, is that going to happen? No. But if Steve Cohen is the guy he says he is, that could be a possibility. So for, for the Mets overall, I'm just saying it like this. While it's tough now, at the end of the day, I think the light at the end of the tunnel is much brighter. And I also want to end it like this, Eddie, because you made the point of disappointment. The reason why I don't see this season as a disappointment for the Mets is because of how hard it is to win a World Series after having back-to-back below 500 seasons. I actually did my research on this. Only five teams in baseball history have ever won a World Series going back-to-back seasons below 500. Surprisingly, one of them is actually the New York Mets back in the 60s. The Miami Marlins are the most recent team to do it. They actually did it twice most recently. In 2003, when they won the World Series, and in 1997, the St. Louis Cardinals, they believe it or not, are a team that also did it. And the Minnesota Twins is also a team that did it twice. Overall, my point, though, is all this happened well before the 2000s and modern baseball we see today. So the fact that it's so rare 
And the expectation that the Mets, granted, I think they had a better shot than the Yankees winning World Series, and the Yankees are proving me wrong right now. That's all I've asked for is the Yankees fan is for them to prove me wrong. But at the end of the day, the expectation that this team needs to come from below 500 season and win, granted, I know it's disappointing, they won 100 games, but win a World Series, you need to learn from failures first, and history has proven that. You can you could circle any World Series uh, winner of late, the Atlanta Braves, most recent one. How many times did they have to fail in the postseason? And then they won the World Series without their best player. The Chicago Cubs went to the NLCS the year before that and, and learned from their failures essentially to go on and win a World Series. The Houston Astros had a couple runs, in, or I think it was one run in the playoffs before they won a World Series. You know, in the Washington Nationals, that team was still winning games even in the, the year prior where they missed the playoffs. They were still an above 500 team competing in the playoffs and had a solid core around them. So the fact of the matter is for the New York Mets, you want 100 games, be happy about that. Yes, you want to improve this team during the offseason, but this unreal expectation that the Mets are going to need to win a World Series is, to me, just blasphemous. Because at the end of the day, be positive. You had an above 500 season. Listen, the Giants go 11-6 and six this year, and I know it's a different sport, but as I predicted, and they don't make the playoffs, I can live with that considering what we've seen in the past. I understand the Mets blew the East. I understand that. I understand they didn't live to expectations against a Padres team, which, which let's be honest, didn't play to their expectations after the trade deadline. But that team is also primed, especially in pitching, to go and compete against the Dodgers, which you're doing right now. And I'm not saying the Mets aren't. But the fact of the matter is, you played a really good baseball team that just hadn't played it since the deadline, and they're just hitting their stride now. And next year could be different with the way the playoff system is. As long as you may win that NL East, you can get a bye in the first round and you're not going to have to play the Dodgers in the second round. Well, let's be honest. If the Mets did win the series, they would probably be losing to the Dodgers right yeah. now. Yeah, I, I understand. I understand that. But my general frustration comes. I can't compare it to the New York Giants because the Mets constructed their roster for this year based on winning it this year. I'm, I'm not saying I agree with that strategy necessarily, but with when you look at the free agents they have now and how they put this roster together, this was looking for 2022 to win the World Series. That was their goal. Steve Cohen, when he came in, he wanted to bring a World Series to them within three to five years. And I'm not saying it's going to be impossible next year, but you have a lot of questions about who you're going to sign. And I don't really trust Billy Epler because Billy Epler needed to make splashes at the trade deadline. And the only net positive they got from the deadline was Daniel Vogelbach. And I'm sorry, as much as I love Danny Donuts, that's not getting you all the way to the World Series. Well, you you can improve Vogelback. I mean, let's be honest. The fact that, and I'm not saying him himself, I'm saying his position, though, you could probably go and get a better DH as well. Again, this is the reason why I'm saying this offseason, in my opinion, I know we said this year, make or break, get players on the roster for the Mets, but this offseason, in my opinion, makes or breaks the Mets' future. Because if they turn around this year, right, they lose a lot of guys, they lose Jacob DeGrom, they lose key pieces, and they go below 500 or around 500 again, don't make the playoffs. That's concerning them for me because they're taking a step backwards. But I feel the Mets can only improve from this. And again, I've always talked about here on Sports Speak about being a heavy advocate for change. The one thing that I can like about this for the Mets, 
And it means they're not going to be complacent when coming back with the roster for mourning from failure. Yeah, you're going to have some key pieces back. Absolutely. But they can only get grow from this, in my opinion. And I think the first sign, again, is, yes, you bring back Jacob DeGrom, you bring back Edwin Diaz, but you turn around and you get a guy like Wilson Contreras to play catcher. You turn around listen, the biggest statement for them is getting Aaron Judge. Rather, rather, he's struggling right now, four strikeouts in the postseason in his first five at-bats. Who cares? He won MVP this year. That's a big statement. And he stole him from the Yankees secondarily. So at the end of the day, they just need a big bat. The offense is what lost in this postseason. That's what lost in this postseason. And they're a very good average hitting team. But they couldn't come up in big moments, and they just simply need to improve those spots where they lack that 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 production in big moments. And really, let's be honest, Vogelback again, low average hitter, a lot of power, but he's batting the middle of the lineup. Uh, what what was his name? Darren, right? Darren Ruff. Darren Ruff. Okay. DH. In yeah. my opinion. yeah, well, yeah, that was a horrible trade. The Mets traded four people for Darren Ruff. That that was a disaster. And JD Davis went and played pretty well for the San Francisco Giants, but. I'll leave it at that on the Mets right now, but obviously frustration as a Met fan. Um, at this point in the postseason, we've seen a couple of upsets, but generally the best teams have looked good so far. Poach, I never asked you during the season, so now during the postseason, from what you've seen so far, what do you see as a potential World Series matchup? It's so tough. In the NL, I like the Dodgers. I'm still going to take the Dodgers. I feel like the Braves are the team of destiny. Maybe I'm just biased to say that because I, I so badly do not want to see the Atlanta Braves or the Phillies, for that matter, um, win the World Series. Uh, in the American League, I don't want to pick the Yankees. I, I go with the bias again. Um, they, they've looked good so far. Obviously, I think they're going to get out of this series with Cleveland, but the Houston Astros would probably still be my pick. Jordan Alvarez has looked outrageous in the first couple of games of the series. They talk about October Jordan. Uh, obviously, you have Justin Verlander going to be the AL Cy Young leading that rotation. So they've looked excellent. I'm going to go all chalk here from the uh, Astros Dodgers. Yeah, I, I, it's it's very difficult. I think there's a lot of strong teams on both sides. I'm not going to really break down the Yankees on this episode because I feel like I'm pretty confident it's going to be Yankees Astros in the ALCS. And I guarantee you next week we'll have stuff to talk about regardless of what happens in that series. But I'll say Alvarez is having a very, very David Ortiz-esque playoff at this point. Granted, it's two games, but you talk about big swings, big moments. The Astros, if they face the Yankees, the Yankees are in for a very tough ride because he is locked in right now. And that is someone just like Aaron Judge to before, you know, the end of the season struggles. Every pitch is going to mean something against Jordan Alvarez, that's for sure. So the MLB is in their postseason. The NFL just getting started about a month in. And as crazy as it might be, three of the best teams in the NFL – are all in the NFC East, and we're each a fan of one of them. The Philadelphia Eagles are 5-0. and They will be facing the Dallas Cowboys, who are 4-1, and and somehow the New York Giants are 4-1. and And I guess Tim's 11-6 and prediction, which I ripped apart, is not looking that far-fetched. Now, they still have a long way to go, but their schedule is very manageable through the middle portion of the season. Jacksonville, Houston, Seattle, Detroit, a lot of winnable games there, along with two matchups with the Washington Commanders. But I'll go to the Cowboy fan first and Nick Pochia. Big matchup with us, the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm excited to go over uh, College Ave at Rutgers and watch it on the big screen with some Eagle fans on Sunday night. Uh, but the big question with Dallas, Cooper Rush has done the job. Dak Prescott has been out since week one. We still don't know 100% who's starting Sunday night. I have a feeling it's going to be Cooper Rush. But once Dak is fully healthy, 
are are you you're, you're you still want him as the starting quarterback or are you going skip bayless mode and think are impressed with what cooper rush is doing yeah, I think you have to stick with Dak. Obviously, a ton of credit to Cooper Rush, who I believe is now 5-0 and in his career as a starter in the NFL, which is incredibly impressive. I hate to throw around the phrase game manager because I know that's like, like a media favorite, but, but I, I think it's it's fairly descriptive of Cooper Rush. He's played excellent, but you look at the Los Angeles Rams game, that had a lot to do with Micah Parsons and the Cowboys defense being absolutely outstanding. Cooper Rush, I think, was 10 for 16 for 102 yards. It was the wrong game in the defense. And look, there's something to be said about when we talk about guys like Jameis Winston, for example, who made a career out of uh, throwing interceptions for a long time, right? Doing things that, well, while he's not a bad player by any stretch of the imagination, uh, things that hurt your team. Cooper Rush, maybe he hasn't done anything outstanding, but he certainly has uh, been able to right the ship and, and allow the strong points of the Cowboys to carry them. I believe Dak Prescott is still a top 12 or 13, I don't want to argue the top 10 thing, but 12 or 13 quarterback in the NFL. You obviously just made a tremendous financial commitment to him. Uh, so I think you have to give him an opportunity in spite of that tough week one against a very good Bucks team, as we know, um, to right the ship, uh, may, maybe add some more explosive offensive uh, plays to the offense. You have C.D. Lamb. Obviously, you have the running game with Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. So see if we get the offense rolling. And also to give Dak Prescott his respect, we got to remember this is a team that won 12 games a year ago. Dak Prescott had an excellent regular season, obviously still memories of that, that difficult ending uh, in San Francisco. But, but in my view, go with Cooper Rush this week, let Dak get another week. Uh, I, I would expect the Cowboys to lose this game on Sunday night, fall to four and two, still not in a bad spot whatsoever and, and get Dak rolling for week seven. Yeah, I, I, I think it makes sense. And I think it's perfectly possible that Cooper Rush starting a quarterback could beat the Philadelphia Eagles. Beginning of the season, I projected the Eagles to lose this week six matchup with Dallas. Obviously, that was before Dak got hurt. But it's really going to weigh heavily on how Jalen Hurts performs in this game because the Eagles did not look good in either of their matchups with Dallas last season, though I know the Eagles are a much improved team on both offense and defense from last year. But I want to clarify something because a couple of my friends who are not Eagles fans who have, have said to me, you've had such a hypocritical turn because you seemed like a Jalen Hurts hater. I was never a Jalen Hurts hater. My thing was that I still thought last year was an evaluation period because I thought since he came in at the end of 2020, at the end of the Doug Peterson reign, when things were very confusing, I couldn't count that as his rookie year. I thought last year getting the full slate with an Eagles team was going to be the evaluation. And I wasn't really a hater on Hurts. There were times such as that Dallas game on Monday night uh, last year where he played really poorly and it was because he went way too horizontal at times on the field would be going to sideline to sideline trying to avoid pressure and would end up throwing the ball out of bounds he is much more composed he is much more confident in using his legs even he has that speed he's got to put it to use and he's done that so far this year and of course the biggest thing he has receivers to throw to this year. He's got A.J. Brown. He's got year two of Devontae Smith. Dallas Goddard's having a tremendous season. Quez Watkins has been good. Last year, Jalen Rieger was out there almost every play. That's who I was hating on, the receiving core, not the quarterback Jalen Hurts. That being said, it's going to be a test. I think he's going to be able to find receivers through that Cowboys secondary but it's all about the front seven. How much pressure can Dallas bring? How much can a still aging offensive line in Philly hold off Micah Parsons and the Cowboys rush? That's going to be the big question in this game, but it's going to be a fun matchup on Sunday night football uh, for first place in the NFC East. But there's another team up there 
The New York Giants are four and one. They somehow went to London and beat Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. They already have a last second victory over the Titans. So they've beaten both number one seeds from last year. And Tim, I know I called you crazy in the summer, but this Giants team is looking very good. The offense still has questions, but as long as Saquon is healthy and Brian Dable is managing these games well, I could see the Giants going pretty far. And I'll give you credit on your prediction. Well, well, first off, I'll say it like this. The one thing that the Giants offense has made relatively good, especially over the last two games, and I will say actually very reminiscent of what Cooper Rush is doing, believe it or not. And I know uh, Poach mentioned being a game time manager, but the one thing I've noticed that Dallas has done so well uh, since Rush has become quarterback is that they're not exactly going into that big rush for hurry up and tempo as much as they used to. So really what that means is they're mixing up the offense. They're taking their time. So on, and they're constantly milking off the clock. The, what the giants do in the first half, what, what is so frustrating to me a little bit is that they're slow starters in the first half, but there's a reason for that. The reason for that is because they come with their little bit of scripted plays like most NFL teams do, and they just try to get Daniel Jones in touch and rhythm early so he gets that confidence and feeling going. Come the second half, they let it go and they let it roll free to what they feel confident with based upon what they're seeing. The Giants' offense is as simple as this. See and react. And it's that simple. They're not putting Daniel Jones in critical situations. They're putting him in spots to feel confident. They know the offensive line isn't good. He gets one read, another read, and then he takes off if he doesn't see anything. They're making it so simple that that's the reason why the Giants are finding so much success. Now, every receiver in the world has gone down for the New York Giants. Literally every receiver in the world. At the end of the day, Darius Slayton, who was going to get traded or cut, Maybe the best receiver the Giants have right now when it's all said and done. Uh, the secondary, they beat Green Bay with every corner going down at some point. He had Nick McLeod be the number one after Fabian Moreau got hurt. And Fabian Moreau, you know, uh, I don't, first of all, I don't even know how no team picked him up and the Giants ended up grabbing him onto the practice squad because he's still a very, very solid corner. But the Giants lost to Dory Jackson and Fabian Moreau in a game and had to play with practice squad players in the secondary and somehow still found to beat Aaron Rodgers. But again, finding ways, coaching ways. The Giants are doing that so, so well, but it seems on either side of the ball. Granted, my only criticism defensively, and it's not even much, you got to tone down the blitz on third and long. How many times do we have to allow a third and 20 conversion this season? That That's a little bit, that's a little, little bit crazy. But both sides of the ball are playing such good game time manager and controlling what they can control. That gives me confidence in this team. Now, I'm going to be honest, we're not going to win this week. We're facing a real in-tune offense for the first time this season. Uh, don't get me wrong, Aaron Rodgers is a good quarterback, but that offense is not in tune. They're barely scoring above 20 points a game. I would argue the same thing if we played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for the record. I think the Giants would have had a good chance against Tampa Bay, believe it or not. But with how it is for Lamar Jackson playing out of his mind right now uh, in this offense, the Giants are going to have to really focus on a big run approach defensively. But I just don't know because I don't even know if we're going to have Leonard Williams this week. And that, that's, to me, the, the big difference maker for this defense. And the, the, the last thing I'll say about the Giants, the fact that we're still doing this all without nobody being healthy, I would say we have even more injuries compared to last year. So I feel confident. I feel confident about the future. But 
Daniel Jones, what he did in London for me, you know, playing the, the his hand bleeding, going down, showing toughness, that's the ideal method of a leader for the New York Giants. And I'm not saying he's the quarterback of the future, but it's moments like that that make me glad he's my quarterback because of the fact that he's just simply out there balling and giving his best despite all the, the wrongdoings around him right now in this team. Yeah, credit where credit is due for sure for the Giants. Three teams doing great in the NFC East. Then there's the Washington Commanders, but they did win last night. And uh, credit to Brian Robinson on his first NFL touchdown. But Thursday night football, man, they've been getting some pretty bad games. Of course, what happened last week with the punt bowl with the Colts and Broncos, and not much. Other coaches would rather Thursday night football not exist. For the record, almost you could almost ask every NFL coach. They they just don't feel Thursday night football is a necessity. And I'll say, of course, we know it's not going to happen for ratings purposes, and you know, and so on. But at the end of the day, right now, early on, <laughs> the NFL has proven a very strong case on why Thursday night football should not happened that was i mean the last two weeks have been horrible and by the way the broncos play monday night football this week so that doesn't yeah, help yeah them. yeah they got screwed by putting russell wilson on way too much in prime time that's why you that you have you have to be more flexible to be able to flex games in between but you know monday night football you kind of box it in but denver is on way too many prime time games but i I'd be curious to see how the ratings actually go for Thursday night football this year. Cause now that it's on Amazon and a streaming service, it's going to be harder for some of the old guard and the older fans to be able to watch it. And I think people are going to start getting fed up with some of these matchups and just not that much scoring uh, next week is saints Cardinals. So you got to think at least there's going to be a little more offense played in that game. Those two teams are more having poor defense. But, so but, but it depends. It depends because I agree. I think Jameis Winston is coming back this week, if I'm not mistaken, but if let's say if he gets hurt again and it's Andy Dalton under center, you don't know. And let's be honest, the Cardinals, it could be a blowout for them on the offensive end, but they're not playing to their best. And also, when did they get DeAndre Hopkins back? I forget. I think that's two weeks from now. I'm not sure. It might actually be next week's game. That I, team, weeks I should know this. I have them on way too many fantasy teams. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I want to say one last thing, of course, not related to this, but the, the team, honestly, I think that's really surprised everyone the most. Um, to this point, of course, I know the Jaguars have been surprising with how they've turned it around. Um, but I'll say it like this, at least the team that has maybe surprised me the most to this point, that is the New York Giants. Honest to God, has maybe been the Browns and the Ravens. I know the Browns have had a couple collapses, but the fact that they're still competing every week with Jacoby Brissett under center. And let's be honest, we thought going into the season, trading Hollywood Brown was crazy uh, for the Ravens. But the fact that Lamar Jackson's playing out of his mind, wants a contract, you know, and uh, is doing what he's doing, and they're finding this much production with their offense is something to commend. Uh, so I'm eager to see how this AFC North plays out moving forward because it's going to be competitive. Yeah, Seahawks have been really impressive too. Geno Smith, of course, they're the highest scoring offense in the NFL. And then it'll also be interesting to see how these rule changes continue to affect things. Of course, following two as injuries, the NFL kind of overreacted and we had some very questionable roughing the passer calls on Monday Night Football and then in the Bucks falcons game as well. So be curious to see how that works out in week six. Well, we got about 10 to 15 minutes left. So figure we turn it to the hardwood now. 2022-23 NBA season set to begin in just five days. I'm very excited for it. First, a little disclaimer. I'm going to be posting on Twitter at Sportspeak Live 
all of our department, you know, predictions and stuff for the season. But I want to talk about some key topics and do some rapid fire with you guys to finish up the show. And I'll go to Nick first, the Brooklyn Nets. Now, Ben Simmons is there. Ben Simmons has looked pretty good so far in the preseason. I know the thing that's gone viral the most is him missing an easy jump shot in uh, the open practice. But he doesn't have to score that much on this team with a healthy Joe Harris, Kyrie and KD mixed in. And despite all the tensions from this offseason, the Nets look pretty good so far in the preseason. My question is, how successful can they be and how good do you think Ben Simmons is going to be this season? Well, they have upside just based on the talent you just discussed. They have NBA championship upside always, right? The biggest issue with this team, as we've discussed extensively, has been it's always felt so disjointed. During the, the Kyrie, Katie, Harden era, it felt like they were never playing together and, and they, they would falter every season. And, and it, it feels like that could be a problem again. But now Ben Simmons, Katie, and, and Kyrie will come with kind of individual uh, baggage uh, off the court that that prevents them from playing often. So I think if this team can buy into Steve Nash, which it feels like they haven't actually come together and, and, and realize that talent doesn't win games, basketball teams win games, uh, I think they can absolutely make a run in the East. And I, and I think they're NBA championship contenders. Uh, Tim, let's look at the defending champs, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, suddenly the drama with Draymond Green punching Jordan Poole in practice. Uh, he's not going to be suspended. He didn't reserve, uh, receive some disciplinary actions, but doesn't look like a suspension is going to be coming. Warriors still have a lot of players back from last year. West is deep, but how, do you see the Warriors potentially repeating? And how much of a distraction do you think this drama is going to end up causing? Uh, repeating, honestly, I think no, despite this team still being stacked. Are they going to be a playoff contender and a title threat? A hundred percent. The Golden State Warriors offense and just their ability to play basketball still, regardless of who's on it, is is always going to be a threat every year. And as long as this team is healthy, uh, they're going to be very, very competitive in the West. It's just a matter, though, again, of a lot of teams that have made a lot of changes in the West. You know, what can they do to try to answer back? Because honestly in the past you know a lot of people would argue and say oh man you know the western conference has been you know the conference for competitive basketball but i'll say really this season it's been the east that's got the biggest of upgrades um for for a lot of a lot of teams to try to play competitive basketball and i'm not saying the west is weak by any means but it's who could take control and show dominance on that western side yeah for sure uh question for myself i have is about the boston celtics uh, you know, all the drama, Ime Udoka is not going to be coaching this season uh, because of the things that happen behind the scenes there and disciplinary actions. I don't think it's going to hurt them that much. I think the Celtics are going to play worse this season and not get back to the championship, not because of Ime Udoka not being there, but because the East is so stacked. We saw them even when Brad Stevens was not the best coach towards the end. We saw them still go on deep postseason runs. Ime Udoka in his first year gets them to the NBA Finals. I think Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, they don't have the biggest personality. They're straight-up basketball players. I think they are very coachable, and regardless of who the coach is, they do a good job of fitting into that system and being productive. So I think even though it's an assistant that's going to be leading them this year, I think the Celtics are going to be fine staying in the Atlantic division. Nick, uh, our token Knicks fan here, uh, Jalen Brunson 
added in the offseason. I felt like a little bit overpaid, but you saw it coming eventually. Knicks have a good young core. They didn't trade it away for Donovan Mitchell. R.J. Barrett is locked up. Uh, how do you see them doing this season after missing last year's playoffs? Yeah, I think they're a borderline play-in contender, finish somewhere in that, you know, 8, 9, 10 area. Jalen Brunson, yeah, unfortunately, is probably the best point guard the Knicks have had in, in 20 years. So that's the reality. I'm, I'm glad we do have a point guard. Unfortunately, not having a good point guard in that long, uh, the front office was more than happy to overpay, it looks like. And unfortunately, in my opinion, made a mistake in not pulling the, uh, the trigger for Donovan Mitchell. One thing real quick to look out for, does Tom Thibodeau play these young guys? If you just made Quentin Grimes, R.J. Barrett, all these, all these different uh, young players protected and untouchable in a trade for a bona fide uh, all-star. You got to play him on the court. Quentin Grimes can't be playing, you know, 12 minutes a game if he, he was such a valuable asset in trade talks. So let's talk about the team that did get Donovan Mitchell. And we have a fan of them here, Tim, the Cleveland Cavs fan. Uh, guy's got a good young core. Darius Garland made the all-star game last year. Evan Mobley, I think, is a budding star. You've still got the veteran and Kevin Love there back from the old days of the championship team. And now Donovan Mitchell joins the Cavs, too. Tim, how much of a threat do you see Cleveland being? And what's their ceiling? How far can they go with this unit this year? This team is sky high. And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Eddie. I'm not, you know, trying to get too, too excited. And I'm not saying they're going to be a championship team, but the NBA finals could be their absolute ceiling if they put it all together. Listen, I'm not saying Donovan is purely the game-changing superstar like guys LeBron James and so on. But he is somebody that the Cleveland Cavaliers have desperately, desperately needed as one of those big shot guys. And this is my one big thing. Listen, Donovan Mitchell, I will argue, granted, he statistically every year has gotten better in Utah. He played his best basketball when he was on the floor with Ricky Rubio. And Ricky Rubio played his best basketball when he was on the floor with Donovan Mitchell. So with that being said, you mix that with Darius Garland as well and Rubio in and off the floor. I think that team is going to be electric. And the one big thing I love about Cleveland the most too, last year, I know they battled a lot of injuries, but it was also really their defense that stood out. And the fact of the matter that you have a guy like Jared Allen, who I'm very high of when he was back in Brooklyn, to also pair with that team oh boy Cleveland is gonna be he, he, I'm gonna be honest for years it looked like it was dark after LeBron left but I'm feeling confident again I don't want to go like this in regards to oh I can see an NBA championship immediately because I talk about obviously on the baseball side for the Mets for example but the ceiling is an NBA finals visit at least but I feel very confident might I had to this team at times last season competed to try to be a part of that one seat. They had control of it at one point last year. So getting Donovan Mitchell is only a perk. So my point is for Cleveland, we could see this team competing up there for one seat, not saying they're going to get to it, but I want to see at least a, a solid playoff run. Not again, maybe not a championship run, but a solid enough playoff run to say, Hey, they could play complimentary basketball and this team can get another superstar in the following off season to help only bolster this roster even more. Yeah, and one more quick thing I'll say that Cleveland didn't have to give up that much for Donovan Mitchell. I know Colin Sexton is a good player. I know that as a Nets fan, he beat the big three in their first game together uh, a couple of years ago. He had a 40-point performance against the Nets another time at Barclays Center. But the Jazz didn't 
really get that much back for Donovan Mitchell. And I think once again, it all goes back to the Rudy Gobert trade. They had already gotten a lot back, that massive haul that really changed all of free agency this year. And I think the Jazz were a little more willing to not get as much for Donovan Mitchell after getting that absolute haul for Rudy Gobert. Uh, Three minutes, you know what? Poach, let's talk about the Lakers and Clippers. Clippers going to have Kawhi Leonard back. Lakers, pretty much the same unit. They add Patrick Beverly. Don't know how committed Russell Westbrook is. Of those two teams in the City of Angels, which one do you see going further this year? Yeah, I'm going to take the Clippers. I I, I really love that team um, when they're healthy. Obviously, like you said, we got Kawhi Leonard coming back. Paul George is still outstanding. The addition of John Wall and also a, a big underrated acquisition, uh, Last year at the trade deadline, Norman Powell, who's been excellent uh, for, for numerous teams, really is uh, in the absence of other superstars at 15 to 20 point per game score. So I love how that roster is constructed. I think they're absolutely championship contenders, especially if John Wall is 75, 80 percent of what he used to be. The Lakers, it's tricky. I, I, I really think that they um, should just part with those two draft picks or whatever Indiana wants, make a move for like a, a Buddy Heald, Miles Turner type of scenario. I, I don't think Russell Westbrook's going to work. One thing to look out for, I read a report this morning, I'm sure you guys saw uh, that they're going to be utilizing Russell Westbrook in the final preseason game with the second unit coming off the benches as sort of a six-man leader of the second unit. So we'll, we'll see what type of things uh, Darvin Ham, who I think is a good coach, is able to do. But uh, out of those two teams, I think the Lakers are a little bit more of a fringe playoff contender, and I, I think the Clippers are a legit uh, championship contender. So we'll have our full predictions, awards, who we have going to the finals posted on Twitter at Sportspeak Live before Tuesday's opening night. Next week, we'll talk some more NBA as well and also the MLB postseason. Quickly, we have a Georgia Bulldog here, so I want to finish with this. Georgia and Bama have both nearly gotten tripped up this season, but they're the two best teams, I think, in the country. Ohio State there as well. Quickly, Poach, do you see Georgia having a good chance to defend their title? I do. I owe two tough games, uh, Kent State and Missouri. Uh, yeah, Missouri. Uh, Missouri especially, was, was that was the first time since I've been here a year and a half that I've saw them play really outside of against Alabama, a remotely close game where you said we have a chance to lose here. Uh, I think a lot of it's going to come down to Tennessee playing Alabama this weekend. Obviously, that's going to be a huge game. Hypothetically, if Tennessee wins that game, uh, they're, com- they're coming to Athens November 5th uh, in what could potentially be two undefeated SEC teams, which would be incredibly exciting. I expect Alabama probably survives, but I, I think Tennessee's a team to watch out for. But, you know, it, it, the uh, college football championship still runs through the SEC, in my opinion. So going to be interesting. Yeah. If he beats Georgia, are you worried? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I'm happy. I have a... Uh, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Not Georgia. I'm sorry. Bama. I apologize. If, if, if Bama... If beat Alabama, are you worried about that game for against Georgia later on the season? I, it, I I would be thrilled because I'd be I have a ticket, so it would be great. I'd be happy <laughs> to be there. Two two undefeated SEC teams. It'll be fun to watch. Fun college football slate coming up this weekend. But that'll wrap up this episode of Sports Speak. More coming next week. Thanks to Poach for joining us. Until next time, I'm Eddie Kalegi. And I'm Tim Moore. Signing off of Sports Speak. We hope you have a great rest of your weekend.